Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of Mike Check on Sports. I'm Steve Napolitani. My next guest is a member of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. He is a Stanley Cup winner, and he is the guy you want next to you at the betting window at the racetrack. It's NBC Sports lead hockey analyst Eddie Olchek. Eddie, how are you doing? Hey, Stevie. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for coming on. And uh, how are you spending your time these days? <laughs> well, like everybody else, just, uh, you know, sheltering in place and social distancing and washing hands and, you know, adhering to uh, the people much higher on the totem pole when it comes to this incredible world that we're living in now. And, uh, you know, my... Uh, my heart and my family's and, uh, you know, the entire hockey community uh, extends our well wishes to anybody that's been affected by this uh, pandemic and a tip of the hockey helmet to all of those first responders out mm-hmm. there that are uh, battling every day for all of us, regardless of, you know, where we may be in the country or in the world. And, you know, it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's just absolutely uh, incredible to see where we are. But, you know, the sheltering in place part of it, Stevie, is, is you know, I don't want to say it's old hat for me, but it's kind of taken me back to two years ago when I was sick mm-hmm. and battling stage three colon cancer. And, you know, for six months I was taking uh, two, two months, uh, every two weeks I was taking chemo for 48 hours for six months and for half of that time I stayed at home I really didn't go anywhere and you know so I'm kind of gonna you know try to make light of the situation uh, is you know as best that I can in my own little world is you know I'm a veteran at this because mm-hmm. I spent three months at home uh, two years ago battling my colon cancer and so you know just you know doing what we're what we can and getting a lot of family time and uh, I have two of my four kids that are, are living at home right now, so uh, it's been rough not being able to, you know, see my, my other my other boys and uh, my daughter-in-law, who is actually pregnant and going to have a baby in July, so mm. I'm going to be a grandpa for the first time. So, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, everybody's dealing with it, and, you know, look, I, I try to tell people, Stevie, is that, you know, the you know, the so-called, you know, inconvenience of, of being at home and sheltering in place and not being able to do what we normally do in, in, in our society is, you know, like this is obviously a very dangerous situation, but, you know, I think the part of the mindset needs to be and has to be, and this is how I kind of looked at what I battled two years ago is, is you know, we're, we're hopefully all trading in, you know, uh, 45 or 60 days of, being sequestered for hopefully another 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years on this earth. I mean, that's, right. that's the reality of it. So when you put it in the big picture right. or you take a step back from it, um, you know, you look at it and go, Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I think we would all, you know, invest in, you know, 45 or 60 days of, you know, whatever inconvenience this is of, you know, having a roof over our head and, you know, in living this way, then, you know, rolling the dice and, you know, we know what the end result is. So, um, but you know, Hey, we're, we're just going day to day and the big picture, we are all just that. So, uh, my honeydew list is pretty long and it's <laughs> getting shorter by the day. There and, you go. uh, so I've been, I feel like I've got a lot accomplished here over the course of the, you know, the first couple of weeks. That's good. And, you know, you talk about the big picture, 
You grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. What was life like growing up there? Well, I mean, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of love and a lot of support in our family. My dad was in the grocery store business for, uh, I guess he ended up being in a grocery store business for almost 55 years. And whether it was being a, a manager or a district manager and then eventually branching out on his own and, and getting his own grocery stores, uh, my mom would work but, and also, you know, take care of me and my brothers. And, um, you know, we, family time was spent in a car or at sporting events. Uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, with my two other brothers who played baseball, football, and hockey and, and me playing baseball and hockey, it just always seemed to be on the go. And, mm -hmm. you know, three ships passing in the day and there'd be times when my mom would, you know, take me and, and meet somewhere and drop me off with my dad with my gear. And then my dad would take me from work right to, you know, right to the rink or baseball field. And, and we would go from there. So, I mean, I, I mean, I was very blessed. I mean, we had, like I said, had incredible support, um, lots of discipline and uh, a lot of love growing up as a kid and, uh, very fortunate with the, with the rearing that I had as a young kid. And uh, I'd like to think that I'm the person today uh, because of my folks and, and what mm -hmm. they instilled in me at, at home. And I'm a big believer is like, if, if, if you don't, I don't care who this is, if you don't get discipline at home, um, you know, it's going to be tr pretty tough to find it and learn it in the real world. And mm -hmm. certainly got that from the, the real Ed and Diana Olchek. Because obviously my name is Eddie and my mm -hmm. mom's name is Diana, but my wife's name is also Diana. So we got Eddie and Diana, Eddie and Diana, and uh, I refer to my folks as the original uh, Ed and Diana Olchek. So it gets a little confusing at Christmas time because my oldest son's name is Eddie as well, and uh, so we got three Eddies and two Dianas. And uh, a little inside story here, Stevie. When my daughter was born, actually my daughter was born and. And uh, we were living in Stanford, Connecticut when I was playing for the Rangers back in 94-95. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, my daughter was born at, at Greenwich Hospital and uh, told my wife, I said, oh, well, you know, it kind of be great. I mean, we've already got Eddie and right. our son Thomas was born. I said, well, why don't we name our daughter Diana? And uh, we'd have Eddie, Eddie, and Eddie, and Diana, Diana, Diana. <laughs> and my wife looked at me like she usually does, like I got seven heads and uh <laughs> Of course, I got the thumbs down, and we went with Alexandra. But uh, yeah, so it gets a little confusing at Christmas time, but uh, it's a lot of fun. But no, my my childhood was uh, a lot of memories, and uh, very very lucky that I had the uh, opportunities that uh, were given to me by my folks. And I read that you started playing hockey at six after bringing home a flyer home from school. Was yeah. was there a coach or a particular part of the game that made you just kind of stay with hockey and and continue to grow? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was lucky. I, I had, I mean, I had some tremendous coaches right when I was from, you know, started playing house league, you know, I think when I was seven years old and then I started playing travel and like, I mean, like I, I mean, I had a gift. It was just whether or not, um, that I wanted to work at it and I just love the game. I mean, I just love being on the ice and as I got older and, you know, traveled a little bit more, I, you know, started to realize that, you know, that maybe I could take this somewhere. And mm -hmm. 
the reality was is when I think I was 14 or 15 years old, I, my dad still to this day believes I would have been a better baseball player than a hockey player and mm. ended up playing 16 years in the league and, you know, the rest is history. But, I, you know, I, had, I made a career decision. And let me repeat that. I made a career decision that I wanted to be a hockey player when I was 15 years old. I mean, I gave up baseball to pursue hockey, which became, you know, 13 months a year. And, right. you know, it just kind of consumed me and my family. And um, I, look, at, I, I, I would have I wish I would have continued playing baseball mm -hmm. uh, a little bit longer. Now, maybe I wouldn't have been able to accomplish what I did if, if, if I chose that. But. Um, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to, to, you know, to, 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 to make that decision at such a young age. I mean, if you're, if you're good enough, you know, willing to put in the work and the opportunity is there that, you know, that's going to be there. But, uh, you know, I chose that and obviously I'm glad I did and everything I owe to the game of hockey that I have, but, um, you know, I just, it, just the game and uh, the camaraderie and the people in the game. And, uh, that was what, you know, drew it to me, and mm -hmm. uh, it's the one thing that you know. I mean, I've been retired almost 20 years now, which is really hard to believe. And you know, people ask, you know, like, do you miss playing? Or yeah, you know, you miss playing for sure. But you know, I miss the guys. I miss mm -hmm. the the trainers. Uh, I miss you know being in a locker room and on the bus and and uh, on the airplanes. I mean, that's you know, that's where it gets very sentimental and emotionals when you talk about those times um but yeah it's uh it's the greatest game in the world and uh, very lucky to have been introduced to it by chance and uh i think it was one of the only flyers i might have brought home with me stevie from school when i was six years old because for some of our listeners i mean back in the olden days you know we didn't have the ability for texting or for you know emails or whatever and you know, they didn't send stuff through the mail that much because it costs money to do that. So they would just give us uh, youngsters at school pieces of paper and then you were supposed to bring them home and give them to your mom. And that one I happened to give to my mom and we went out to the store and grabbed a pair of skates. And next thing you know, I'm on the ice and, uh, you know, the rest is history. Hmm. And then in 1984, you become a member of the U.S. Olympic team, Sarajevo. 239 players in the ice hockey pool of players. And you were the youngest. How big of a moment was that for you? Well, I think especially you know following what happened in 1980, Stevie, um, with the miracle on ice in Lake Placid, and you know I was 12 years old when I was watching that. And I mm -hmm. mean, being a hockey player, I'm like, gosh, that would be the, I mean, that would be the ultimate is to be able to play in the Olympics. And I thought, you know, you know, maybe when I was 20 or 24, when I was right. an old guy, you know, like I thought that, you know. I mean, I never thought four years later I would get an invitation to try out for the Olympic team. I mean, I didn't. And sure enough, as a 16-year-old, I got that opportunity and then made the team and played in the Olympics as a 17-year-old. And, you know, to represent our country in a sporting venue and sporting event like that uh, is just, I mean, one of the greatest honors. And like I said, following in the footsteps of the 80 team, and we had a lot of pressure on us. I mean, right. we could only equal what that team did. I mean, we were almost in a so-called no-win situation. Right. But, um, yeah, that, I mean, that whole, you know, that whole year helped prepare me for the National Hockey League, which came the next year. And uh, But, I mean, it was just a great experience. I mean, every town we went into, 
you know, we met every, you know, uh, city official and diplomat. And I mean, we were having lunches and parades and getting keys to cities and, mm. you know, the U S Olympic hockey team coming to town. I mean, we played, you know, we played NHL games. We played actually played in the central league and in, in, in minor pro hockey where, you know, those games counted in the league for those teams. And mm. we traveled and played all around and, I think we played the Canadian team probably about 12 or 13 times that year. So, um, yeah, just a great experience. And, you know, I, I mean, maybe, maybe I was too young to really, you know, maybe I was naive to think about the, you know, the dramatics of being at the Olympics and representing our country in the sporting, you know, venue like that. But uh, that was just an amazing experience. And uh, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't see my Olympic jersey sitting in my office. And, mm. you know, you just kind of, you know, you, especially now uh, with all this free time, you know, you just have time to reminisce and look back. And and uh, I look at the jersey now and go, geez, I hope that jersey has, uh, has, has uh, shrunk since then because <laughs> I'm like, how in the hell did I get in that thing? I had no clue, of, you know, how of how snug it, it was or it is now. I'm just like, geez, I don't even think I could wear that thing as a, as a sweatshirt. But, uh, you know, it's, it was a great experience, that's for sure, and very honored and humbled that I had that opportunity. And then later that year, enter the draft in June, you go third overall to your childhood team, the Blackhawks. What was that feeling? Did, did you think that's kind of where you were going to go, number three overall? Did you have any inkling? <sighs> Well, I knew I wasn't going number one because right. a guy by the name of Mario Lemieux was going number one, uh, you know, and I actually thought I was going to New Jersey at number two. Uh, they had the number two overall pick and I had gone to New Jersey and, and met with the management group there with uh, Max McNabb, um, Marshall Johnston, uh, met with Dr. McMullen, the owner of the team. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, I really thought that I was going to go second overall. And, uh, you know, L.A. had the third pick, and they were not taking a forward. They wanted a defenseman. And Toronto had the fourth pick. So we were at the draft, and Mario obviously goes number one. And I thought I was going number two to New Jersey, and New Jersey took Kirk Muller. Mm. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, wow, well, I know I'm not going to L.A. at three. Right. Uh, so I thought I was going to end up in Toronto at four and right before LA was, uh, making a pick, uh, there was a timeout on the floor. And at that time, Bill Waters and Ricky Curran were my agents. And, you know, we kind of had a quick discussion sitting in a Montreal forum where the draft was every year back then. And, you know, they were just like, you know, you know, maybe Chicago is, is moving up from sixth and, you know, they really weren't sure. And again, there were, you know, there, there were no cell phones back in 1984. Right. So it wasn't like they were getting information, you know, via text or a phone call. And, you know, the next thing you know, they came on and announced uh, at the draft that uh, the Blackhawks and Kings had made a trade and had switched draft picks. And, you know, I was just like, holy cow, like, uh, you know, it was just like a blur. And mm -hmm. next thing you know, the the Blackhawks, I think it was Jack Davidson, the assistant general manager, announced my name at the forum and said that uh, the Blackhawks had selected from the U.S. national team and said my name. And I was like, wow, you know, like I, I really couldn't believe it. And, 
you know, we ended up finding out after the fact that Chicago also made a deal with New Jersey uh, not to draft me. Oh. So there were a couple of, there was a side deal there with, you know, Chicago and New Jersey. And mm. So there were a lot of moving parts there. And, uh, you know, that's how I became a Blackhawk. And, you know, look, I mean, I grew up in Chicago and lived and died as a Blackhawk fan my whole life. And, you know, always dreamed what it would be like to, to play in the NHL and play for the Blackhawks. And proud to say that I was the first ever American-born native son to ever be drafted by his hometown team in the first round. And, that was an incredible experience, uh, but just that whole sequence of the draft and, you know, getting moved, you know, the Hawks moving mm-hmm. up and then the side deal with New Jersey. So, um, but it was, uh, it was an unbelievable experience and, uh, you know, a lot of pressure, obviously playing right. in my hometown. And, um, you know, my first couple of years were incredible. And first year we went to the conference finals against the Edmonton Oilers and the 85 playoffs and, and lost in six games and, uh, the next year had a really good individual year, but, you know, we got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. And then my third year, I just had a bad year. I mean, everybody talks about the sophomore jinx. Uh, mine was a junior jinx. I just, I didn't have a good year. I just, it was bad. And next thing you know, uh, at the end of my third year, the Blackhawks decided to trade me to Toronto. And that's kind of where my career really kind of took off, but it was uh, an unbelievable experience and proud to say that I played my first game as a Blackhawk, scored my first goal in my very first game as a Blackhawk mm-hmm. and come full circle, eventually ended my career with the Blackhawks in 2000. So, uh, but yeah, that's something I'll never forget and certainly was a dream come true to be able to play for my hometown team. I mean, how difficult was it for you when you were traded? I mean, were you shocked? Uh, yeah, was it something... I mean, the first time, yeah, yeah, I mean, the first time you're traded, I mean, you take it personal and, you know, you feel slighted and whatever, but, you know, you know, it's a business and whatever. But like I said, for me, it ended up being the, probably the best thing that ever happened for me in my career-wise playing because, you know, I, I didn't feel as much pressure when I left Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I went to a place like Toronto yeah. where, you know, you would think that it would be, you know, 10 times, and maybe it was, but I just didn't feel that, you know, that, that uh, hometown pressure. And my first year in Toronto, I ended up scoring 42 goals in my first year with the Leafs. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it, yeah, I mean, I was disappointed and shocked and hurt, but, um, you know, I think as the years went on, I certainly learned about, you know, the business of hockey and whatever, but, um, ended up being the, you know, the best thing for me and, uh, uh, and really enjoyed my time in Toronto. Yeah. 267 points and 257 games. So, Definitely a turnaround. And then you go on to Winnipeg before being traded to the Rangers in 92-93. Coming to New York, was that a move you were happy about at the time? Um, I think I was surprised because things had gone so well in Winnipeg, Stevie. And, you know, I think the one thing that ended up happening was is I became expendable because of the emergence of uh, Alexei Zhamnoff and uh, and Timo Solani came into the scene and, mm-hmm. and uh, Winnipeg was looking to change a little bit of the dynamic of their team. And uh, next thing you know, I get the call, uh, you know, right after Christmas of of 92 and, and uh, you know, uh, letting me know I was traded for, uh, you know, for Chris King and Ty Domi uh, to the Rangers. And at that time, uh, my mother-in-law, my, my late mother-in-law um, had had a stroke and my wife was gone and I was tending to our, our two youngest uh, kids at home. And I I wasn't able to get to New York as quick as I would have liked, but 
um, you know, it was kind of a whirlwind, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. with everything going on on a personal level and, mm-hmm. you know, moving again and, and going to a, obviously a big city like New York, uh, you know, it was just kind of a whirlwind, but, you know, once I got there and, you know, I'd known Roger Nielsen, who was the coach at the time, because Roger was my assistant coach with the Blackhawks back in, uh, you know, in, in 84. And so I, you know, that was a comfort zone. I had known a couple of the guys. I didn't know the guys a lot. Um, but, you know, once I got there, uh, you know, it felt, you know, it felt like home, it felt normal. And, you know, the guys were obviously, you know, tremendous and, you know, not knowing what was on the verge, but uh, certainly knew that uh, the team was on the cusp of taking that next step. And, uh, you know, and shortly after that, obviously, we accomplished something that no Ranger team was able to do in 54 years. But, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I was disappointed I left Winnipeg mm-hmm. because we really enjoyed it and I had a big, important role on that team. But I looked at the challenge of going to New York and hopefully getting an opportunity to play and, and be on a team that had a legitimate chance to, to go to the Stanley Cup. And, um, you know, we ended up doing that. But, you know, my role on that team was was, was very minimal on the ice. But uh, I think as time grew there, I knew what my role was and uh, would never trade that in because, look, that's why I played. And I'd like to think that's why most guys play is to get that opportunity to play for the Stanley Cup. And, and we certainly were able to accomplish that in 1994. Right. How, I mean, that had to be a hard year of emotions for you. You know, you played most of the first half of the season and didn't really play the second half. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but you, you seem to embrace the role yeah. as best as you could. And, and Yeah, and, no, I mean, that's that's part of being a team, right? Everybody's, you know, role players have to do two things, accept and execute. And I don't right. care if it's, you know, it's it's uh, Ricky, Mike Richter, or Brian Leach, or Mess, or Gravy, or you know, or, or guys like myself, Mike Hartman, Joey Kosher, Glenn Healy. I mean, mm-hmm. when your number's called, you gotta be ready to go. And uh, you know, look, I, I'd gone from being a go-to guy to pretty much having my fate, you know, sealed uh, even before the season started that year with Mike Keenan as our coach. I mean, I just, you know, I I, I knew from day one that just didn't matter what I said or what I did. I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the books as far as the playing part of it. And, you know, I, I tell the story in the book that I recently wrote and, and you know, and the, tell the story. But, you know, it's at the start of the year with, we, you know, Neil and the Rangers, they hired Mike to be our coach. And we had come off a year where we missed the playoffs. And, and Mike, during training camp, right before the season started, you know, he brought in a TV and a VCR and he put in this tape with, you know, music in the background and and uh, showing all the championships in, in New York sports over the years. And, you know, just kind of like a pump up tape and, you know, just kind of showing what it would be like to win the Stanley Cup in New York. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was well done and it was great. And he went around the room and and, uh, you know, talked to, you know, looked at mess and said, Hey, you're going to score the game winning goal in game seven of the Stanley cup. And, you know, you're going to be the first one that touched the cup for the Rangers in 54 years. And mm. Mike Richter, you're going to stop every shot that comes your way. And Adam Graves, you're going to, you know, score this and Brian Leach and, and, uh, you know, Joey Kosher, if anybody touches anybody, you're going to, you're going to kick their ass. And, <laughs> and then he says, Eddie Olchek. And then there was a pause and a pause and he goes, and you may not play all year long, but you're going to have a role on this team. And, you know, like, as soon as that happened, like, I just, I knew that my role was going to be more of a, uh, you know, leader off the ice, um, 
to be a uh, you know no disrespect uh, uh, to anybody, but you know to be a cheerleader, to be a team guy, to be there when need be, and, mm-hmm. and, and that was my role, and it ended up playing out to fruition. You're right. I mean, I, I, I got hurt in the middle of the year. I, I, I smashed my thumb, and I had surgery on that, so I missed, you know, seven or eight weeks of that. And um, But, you know, hey, you know, that was the hand that was dealt. And, mm-hmm. look, it, I would never trade in anything that happened that year and being, a, like I said, a very small part of that team. But, um, you know, hey, when, I was a player, and when you're not playing, it, it's hard and it's uh, tough to swallow. But... Uh, I knew what my role was, and hockey's the ultimate team game, and I would never drag my teammates down and pout or uh, be selfish. Uh, all I did was wait for an opportunity and and uh, and try to be a small part of that team and very proud of that. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that team and uh, you know think about the accomplishments we had and the ability to be able to conquered that uh you know that so-called curse for 54 years and even in my travels today stevie of coming back to new york or seeing ranger fans or just you know being in the city uh there isn't a trip that doesn't go by where somebody doesn't mention 94 Mm -hmm. or thanks me or the team and uh which is just an unbelievable feeling that uh, all these years later people are still so appreciative and knowing where they were and generations of hockey fans that were able to finally witness something that they had waited their whole life for and, and that to me is what you know so-called no pun intended uh, trumps everything now <laughs> is that uh, you know people uh, are still just so excited and and uh, thankful for what we were able to accomplish so on a personal level yeah it was a battle but uh uh, I look back on it and go, you know, it was well worth it. And people ask me all the time, like, if you didn't win, you know, how would you feel? Well, I mean, that's a fair question. Right. I probably wouldn't feel as, as I do today. But uh, we had a special group and uh, very, very proud of it, not only the players and the coaches, but our trainers as well. Uh, we had an incredible bond and something that will, you know, will we'll always be tied together because of that a magical year in 94 with the Rangers. And you were the guy behind the heave ho, heave ho, which everybody knows. <laughs> so how, how, what, what did heave ho come from? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just, you know, learning as a kid and, uh, you know, just always, uh, you know, working in tandem and working together. And it just ended up being becoming a part of our team stretch every day. And uh, we'd always end our stretches with a couple of heave ho's together. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we would just take our arms and, stretch them out together and it would just be working as one and is one unit it is one team and uh just kind of became the catchphrase and uh very proud that uh, the team decided to put heave ho on the inside of our uh, or on the outside of our stanley cup rings awesome. and uh you know so you know like i said i, I knew what my role was stevie and uh, i tried to execute it to the best of my abilities and uh and uh obviously recognized by my by my teammates, uh, by being awarded the player's player that year, uh, you know, of, of, uh, on that goal, on that Stanley cup team. And, uh, very proud of that. I mean, the greatest individual award that I've, I've received in my life. I mean, just to have been a part of that team in a very small way and to know all the different incredible leaders we had on that team, starting with, you know, gravy and mess. And, you know, mm-hmm. I can name five or six other guys, but, 
you know, to get there, recognition, certainly I'm very proud of and something I'll never forget. And, um, but yeah, heave ho is, uh, you know, every once in a while I get a fan or two to, <laughs> to yell it at me when I'm at the garden or just, you know, walking through the city and, uh, uh just uh, brings back uh, great, great memories. That is awesome. And like you said, you played 16 years, your career, career came full circle. You played your first game for the Blackhawks thousands game and you played your last game and you retired in 2000. Did you always know what life after hockey you wanted it to look like or or never kind of planned for it as a player? Uh, I think I started planning for it, honestly. I think when I was going through my time in New York, I, I, I do. I mean, mm. uh, proud to say that I was a, a, a frequent uh, contributor to Mike and the Mad Dog mm-hmm. back in the day, yeah. uh, WFAN and uh, – you know, I think I, I, I think I knew I wanted to get into broadcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the last couple of years of my career, I was able to to work uh, NHL radio on Westwood One and then do some games on ESPN when I wasn't in the playoffs. So I got a taste of it and mm-hmm. thought, wow, you know, this would be pretty cool. And um, So I, I think I was preparing for life after hockey. And again, I mean, look, at, when you're in the middle of it, you think you're going to be able to play forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last time I checked... You know, maybe take, uh, you know, you, you maybe take uh, Chris Chelios and uh, and uh, Tom Brady out of the equation. But so Father Time is undefeated the last time I checked. <laughs> and uh, for, 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 for a stiff like myself, I knew that it was around the corner. So I, you know, I did. Yeah, I, I think I did start preparing for it. And uh, it's, it's ended up being, uh, you know, incredible life. And look at hockey's been my life. I've been involved in it since I was six and a half years old and back in 1972. And then, like I said, with the Olympic team in 84 and then all the way to now, I mean, been involved in some sort of high level hockey in, in all aspects, not only the playing part and broadcasting, but also coaching as I did in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after I retired, but um, very lucky, very blessed and uh, met my wife through hockey and uh, my kids have all been involved in it. And um, yeah, I just, uh, think i knew what i wanted to do and uh i think i knew where i was uh and where i'd been and i knew i knew where i wanted to get to so yeah i I think i was pretty much prepared for life after hockey and you mentioned coach in 2003 with the penguins you had a young mark andre Fleury, then you had a young Sidney crosby but these these guys (laughs) these guys were just babies kids at the time yeah, yeah. You know? Look at, I mean, I, I went right from, uh, you know, I went right from the booth to the bench, and mm-hmm. you know, when, when you look at what's transpired over the course of the last, you know, I mean, I'm gonna say, you know, ten plus years. When you look at all, all sports. I mean, when you look at, uh, I mean, look at Aaron Boone, mm-hmm. uh, the manager of the Yankees. Right. I mean, he had no managerial experience. He went right from the booth to the, to the bench. Uh, John Lynch, the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had no experience of, of managing. I mean, he went right from there to be the GM of the 49ers. Uh, our good friend, the great John Davidson, mm-hmm. uh, JD, yep. left the broadcast booth, and thankfully for me, <laughs> gave me an opportunity to. To fill his incredible seat, what an honor to work with him, uh, to try to follow in his footsteps of working with the legendary Doc Emmerich, my great partner. Um, You know, J.D. left the booth to go become the team president of the St. Louis Blues. Mm -hmm. And now, obviously, we know J.D. back with the Rangers where he certainly deserves to be. But, you know, so it, it wasn't out of the norm. I mean, I shouldn't say it wasn't out of the norm. I mean, there have been 
people that have been able to do it. And for me, I got that opportunity in Pittsburgh and we were in the middle of a rebuild and we knew exactly, you know, what we were trying to get accomplished, but to have been around Marc-Andre Fleury and, and uh, Sidney Crosby and to have worked and coached and played with Mario Lemieux uh, was certainly a, a tremendous honor. And I think that experience of being in Pittsburgh for two and a half years, Stevie, at, at I think it really helped me become a better broadcaster. I think mm-hmm. it made it helped me become a better hockey guy and something that I would never trade in for now. You know, I'm disappointed I wasn't able to see the five-year plan through because mm-hmm. eventually the Penguins won a Stanley Cup, uh, you know, less than that, uh, less than that five-year plan. But um, very thankful to Mario and Craig Patrick for giving me the opportunity. And uh, But to see those guys come in as, as babies uh, and rookies, but you knew, that they were both on the uh, on the cusp of uh, uh, incredible careers in the National Hockey League, and uh, very proud to have been a very small part of their uh, you know their their infancy in the National Hockey League. And have you ever thought about getting back into coaching? Is it back of your mind? Maybe. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I've had opportunities at, at different levels of, of coaching, but. Um, you know, nothing really, uh, you know, the timing aspect of it and, and nothing is really, you know, come to the forefront. So, you know, as far as the coaching part of it, you know, I, I don't know if that's realistic anymore, but uh, I love the game. Uh, like I said, everything I owe to the game, I have, I owe to the game of hockey and uh, a lot of friends, a lot of relationships inside the game. Yeah, I miss it. I miss, I miss the teaching part. I miss the you know, the camaraderie with the guys to see them enjoying the winning and, and uh, experimenting, uh, experiencing that. And then, you know, uh, trying to be there when things are tough or try to fix the, you know, the, the losing or the, you know, the, the not winning ways. But, um, you know, I, I, I love what I do. I love for the people that I work for, uh, not only at NBC, but also doing games uh, locally with the Blackhawks. And uh, I've, couple of incredible partners that I work with, with Doc Emmerich and Pat Foley, and then Brian Boucher has become a huge part of our broadcast uh, on NBC, and, uh, you know, I love what I'm doing. I'm very, um, I'm very much at peace of where I am, and uh, would never say never, but uh, considering where I've been the last couple of years with health and everything else, uh, I'm uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully in a good spot for, for a long time to come. And then 2012, you get into the inducted into the u.s hockey hall of fame what was it like getting that phone call well i mean look at to be able to go in there with with mike madonna and uh, one of my mentors mr lamarillo lou lamarillo mm-hmm. uh, who i've known since uh, 1983 so to go in there with those two established and most prestige hockey people that we have in the game let alone uh, in, in usa hockey was a great honor and uh, was very humbled, humbled by the opportunity and, and uh, honored to go into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. And, um, my family was there. The, the ceremony was in Dallas. And uh, to be able to go up there and thank all the people that had helped me along the way uh, was, uh, was very emotional and very proud. And uh, to be recognized for the things I've been able to accomplish in my career, both on and off the ice. And uh, just, uh, very, very proud of that. And, uh, you know, to be, you know, one of, one of the, you know, one of the torch carriers for USA hockey my whole life and to be recognized and to go in with so many, uh, incredible people. I'm very proud of that. That is awesome. Now I've spent five years working at Monmouth park racetrack, parking cars in college, and I've always enjoyed the ponies. 
thoroughbred race, horse racing is a major part of your life. How did that become part of it? How did you get into it? Well, when I was a young kid, I uh, went to the, uh, went growing up in Chicago, I went to old Arlington Park as a young kid when I was 12 or 13 years old. Uh, one of my teammates' dads, dad was a horse player, so one day we were in between games or whatever after practice and, you know, spring practice, and we went to the racetrack and just kind of just fell in love with the animal. I mean, how majestic they are and just how athletic and you know you get these crazy humans on the back of them and they're sitting there going 35 40 miles an hour you know running three quarters of a mile and uh i just became enamored with the the animal mm-hmm. and you know and then i started learning about the the gambling part and the handicapping part and uh, it just became kind of became in my blood and i mean it's it's certainly always has been a passion of mine and uh, whether it's been in the owning part or the handicapping part, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't know that, you know, there would maybe be an opportunity for me to get involved on the TV aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But from the handicapping part of it, uh, as I do now for, for NBC, but how I got my start in television, a lot of people don't know this, Stevie, is that back in 94, obviously we won the cup. And then the next year we went to training camp and we had a full training camp and then the collective bargaining agreement had expired. I think it was on October 1st, mm-hmm. right before the start of the regular season. So for the 94, 95 season, there was a work stoppage. Uh, obviously there was a labor disagreement between the owners and players of the national hockey league. And there was no hockey and having been an owner and have gone to the Meadowlands racetrack a few hundred times in my life, <laughs> Uh, and all those people there at the Meadowlands, uh, you know, Jimmy Gagliano, Hal Handel, Chris Mackerlane, mm-hmm. Bruce Garland. I mean, all of those guys, they were huge Ranger fans and uh, had brought the Stanley Cup actually to the Meadowlands on July, I think it was June the 30th of 94 to celebrate and then had a nice party up at the Pegasus. And then on the first, I brought it to Belmont Park and celebrated nice. with all the Ranger fans. But so they asked me, the guys at the Meadowlands, they were like, look, you're not working. Uh, would you like to come to the racetrack and be a part of our, you know, our TV coverage, our in-house uh, simulcast and mm-hmm. our in-house handicapping? And, and I ended up working at the Meadowlands racetrack during the work stoppage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I mean, look, I was getting paid to go to the racetrack yeah. and they were smart enough to know I was probably going from my right hand to my left hand and then right into <laughs> the betting window. And so I, like, that's how I got my start in television. Oh. I, mean, I, I started working in TV at the racetrack and started working with an earpiece and understanding the camera and the lingo. And mm-hmm. Barbara Foster was my, was my partner on track. I worked with, uh, you know, Ken Workington and uh, Hollywood Hayden and, and all those guys. And yeah, it just, I mean, A, it helped pass the time. B, I was getting a little bit of a check. And, and C, I didn't know, but it was helping me, helped prepare me for life after hockey. And then sure enough, some, you know, I guess 20, you know, 20 plus years later, uh, I get an opportunity from my boss, Sam Flood at NBC, after me pounding on his door for, I think, five or six years of <laughs> saying, hey, you know, if you ever need any help on our terrific NBC horse racing coverage, you know, I'd like to be a part of it. And, you know, Sam gave me the Heisman for, I think, five straight years. And then one time I just told them the story about the Meadowlands and working there. And 
he said, let me think about it. And I'm like, wow, I got a shot. I actually got a shot. And uh, next thing you know, uh, Sam gave me a chance. And Rob Hyland, our uh, great producer for uh, for horse racing, um, called and gave me a chance. And I've been with uh, NBC's horse racing team uh, ever since uh, 2014, 2015. So I'm... Um, very lucky that uh, that opportunity in, at the Meadowlands uh, helped open up the door for me in broadcasting not only hockey for NBC, but mm-hmm. also horse racing. And, uh, uh, yeah, so just uh, kind of a, a crazy full circle. So horse racing's always been a part of Eddie Olchek's life and uh, very passionate about the, the game, about the people in it, and uh, most mm-hmm. importantly, the incredible equine athletes that uh, that we have and uh, you know and, and they're bred to run and uh, I always enjoy uh, spending a day or two or 500 at the racetrack or <laughs> watching them on television and uh, just very lucky they've been a huge part of my life and it's really the only sport that's going right now it's the only sport yeah that's so it's it. kind of helped passing the time early in this uh, in this COVID-19 uh, pandemic we're all battling through so in August of 2017, you were now you announced you were diagnosed with cancer. You were always honest with your words. You said you were scared, but over and over you continue to say you will beat cancer and you will win. Where did you get that drive? Are you naturally optimistic? Was it that competitive edge as an athlete? You know, did you have that daily affirmation? Uh, I mean, I was, you know, I I was. I want, I wanted to know, well, you know, how long do I have? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the first thing that I thought of is when I was told I had stage three colon cancer and, uh, we're recommending six months of chemotherapy and then we'll reassess from there. I mean, the first thing I said was, well, how long do I have? I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't know. I mean, I, when I heard the word cancer, the first thing I thought of was death. And, you know, after going through that, incredible emotional swing stevie it was like okay well i gotta i gotta put my big boy pants on now and i gotta put my hockey helmet on and mm-hmm. i gotta go and and compete and you know i've i gotta battle mm-hmm. and look at i i was scared and still am scared because cancer is always going to be with me but you know i took it head on and you know look at couple of treatments in i think it was actually treatment two. the side effects and for anybody that has battled this horrible disease know what i'm talking about when it comes to the side effects and you know whether it was for me it was terrible headaches nosebleeds vomiting uh, just going to the bathroom without holding it um mm. i mean i had a blood clot i mean I, everything and treatment two, i just uh, i just had horrible side effects i would just go to the bathroom without having to go and i'm just like okay i'm done i quit I'm done. And I told my wife, I'm done. And I had taken the chemo, as I said earlier, you know, 48 hours every two weeks for six months. And on that second treatment, uh, I told my wife, I was, I'm going to quit. And I'm just like, how in the hell am I going to get through today, let alone get through another five months? Hmm. Um, instead of looking at it day to day, I was, you know, I want the cliff notes version, you know, hmm. which we all do when we're right. sick. Um, and my wife looked at me and she grabbed me and gave me the greatest inspirational speech I ever had. And she just said, look, you got to fight. You got to fight for me. You got to fight for our kids and you got to fight for all the people that love you. Mm-hmm. And I cried and she cried and we had a moment that probably lasted 30 minutes. And I took a deep breath and I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I, I got to go a day at a time. Mm-hmm. I got to set goals for myself. And, uh, and that's what I did. And, 
you know, look at it, it tests your will to live. Mm-hmm. It, it breaks you down. Um, the medicine, the disease, and I wanted to be very transparent of letting people know about my story. And that was one of the reasons why I wrote my book is just mm-hmm. to let people know that, you know, like, look, I full disclosure. I mean, it, it, it broke me down and I had that incredible support from my wife and the doctors that I had at Northwestern hospital in Chicago and my folks and my brothers and my kids and my friends and the hockey community and horse racing community. The people that I worked for were there every step of the way and they helped me get through. And, you know, I just, I battled. So at first, Stevie, to answer your question long winded. Yeah. I, I, I took it on as a challenge. Because uh, I had never quit at anything in my life. I mean, I don't care if I was playing or coaching or being down, you know, 20 bucks at the track. All right, scratch that. Being down 200 at the track or, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't going to quit. I mean, I was going to keep battling to the end. And um, But this battle really tests my will to live. And um, if it wasn't for my wife that day of setting me straight and, and pulling me out of that, that black hole, because when – you know, I mean, I know we're all living in this time now, but, you know, I had enough quiet time to last me a lifetime. Right. And uh, you drift into oblivion and you just got to fight and you got to battle and you got to set goals. And, uh, and that's what I talk to people about all the time is, you know, because I communicate with a lot of people that have battled this disease, people that I know and people that I don't that have reached out in many different forms is to be honest with them and to tell them that, you know, yeah, you're going to be in some pain and it's going to consume you and it's going to test your will. But, um, you know, anybody that may be listening to me today, I, I tell my story and wrote my book because I wanted to help inspire one person to either a stay away from it, getting a colonoscopy when you were supposed to, mm-hmm. um, or if you're not feeling well, raise your hand and let somebody know or to help them get through the day. And that's one of the reasons why I've been so vocal and transparent on, on my battle with stage three colon cancer is that if I could help one person beat it, stay away from it or help them just get through it, then it was well worth me talking to you today or telling my story or putting 16 months of pen to paper for me writing my book. And uh, I'm, I'm obviously very proud and thankful that I got on the right side of this, mm-hmm. but uh, I know that uh, I know that this is my purpose in life now is to to be a so-called you know, unofficial spokesperson for this horrible disease and and to make more people aware and and uh, very proud that there have been so many people that have heard my story and mm-hmm. have gone out and gotten a colonoscopy mm-hmm. and 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 making sure that they're looking after themselves and and have raised their hand and said you know what geez I, I don't feel good or this is what I'm seeing or uh, you know I need some help or guidance and. Uh, if the more people that hear me, then the more people hopefully we can help and and make this uh, make this world a little bit better. And uh, one last thing on it, the NHL, I mean, the incredible initiative of Hockey Fights Cancer. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to have been the Hockey Fights and Ca- uh, Cancer ambassador for this last season in the National Hockey League. And um, look at I'm the league has done so many great things, but uh, you know I tip my hockey helmet to them for this initiative for all the money that they've been able to raise for all these years and uh, continue to bring awareness because as we know, uh, cancer does not discriminate. And uh, the more we talk about it, the more we communicate about it. Uh, hopefully one day it'll be hockey beats cancer. And uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm fighting and living for now. I like it. Hockey beats cancer. That hopefully will be the slogan. I've lost my mom. My dad won the battle. You know, when you were cleared in, in March of 2018, 
you know, how did you was there a celebration? Is it just a family just gathering or, you know, how do you yeah, celebrate something I, like that? Yeah. I mean, I think when I got the news on my scan, I was, uh, actually with uh, the Blackhawks team doctor, Dr. Michael Terry, who had, uh, got a quick sneak peek of my scan and, uh, you know, he had been the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the captain of uh, so-called team Olchek when it came to the medical part of this. And he was the first one I called when I got sick and uh, he had looked at the scan and, uh, you know, I mean, he's an ortho uh, team doctor for the Blackhawks, but, uh, you know, he had looked at it and it told me that it, it had looked clean. And uh, then I got confirmation from Dr. Mary Mulcahy, my oncologist uh, a couple of weeks later, but you know, I think that, you know, that conversation I had with Dr. Terry, I mean, it was very emotional and mm. so thankful and, you know, got on the right side of this and, you know, want to get in that, get in the car and look in the rearview mirror and get as far and as, you know, fast and as far away from it as I possibly could. But, you know, I mean, obviously it was emotional telling everybody and then going public with it. And I mm -hmm. think my exact words was, is that, you know, you know, we did it. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, we did it. I'm, I'm, I'm cancer free. And, um, you know, just like I said, I couldn't have done it by myself and we'll always be very, very thankful and forever grateful for all the support that I had both, you know, at home, obviously all the caretakers and caregivers and, and the hockey and horse racing communities that uh, always checked up on me and, and, uh, it helped and uh, I'll be never, uh, never be able to repay everybody, but, uh, Hopefully, I can repay it forward by uh, the initiatives that I'm a part of now. Yeah, and then you were honored by the Blackhawks with one last shift on Hockey Fights Cancer Night. How how emotional was that for you? Well, I mean, it was very emotional. Uh, you know, I, you know, to take people back to the end of my career in 2000, I, I never really had a chance to so-called officially retire um, or, or skate away from the game. Uh, it just didn't work out that way. So I, I kind of, it kind of brought closure. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned this to team president and CEO, John McDonough about that uh, opportunity to have that one last shift uh, for the Blackhawks. And, uh, and for me is it kind of felt like closure that mm -hmm. I was able to say, thank you for, you know, uh, playing for the Blackhawks for five seasons um, to play my first, you know, my thousandth and my last, as you mentioned earlier, but uh, also saying thank you to the game of hockey. Uh, it brought me to so many places. It, it, it gave me my family. I met my wife on an airplane my rookie year in the National Hockey League in, in 84, 85. And um, like I said, it just it, it felt like it just felt complete when I was able to skate out there. And it's a great tradition that the Blackhawks have started. It really is. Like it's just an amazing opportunity to you know, celebrate the past, right. uh, but also connect with the current. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of teams out there do a lot of great things, but uh, that's a, that's pretty special. So very honored and blessed. I think Rocky Wirtz and his family have always been great to the old Czech family and the Blackhawks for allowing me to, to be a very small part of that. And, uh, you know, there is that time you get out there and you go, oh, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe I could take a shift out here, you know, maybe <laughs> get one more. And I'm like, yeah, I got no chance. I got absolutely no chance. Uh, but it was uh, great to put the sweater back on uh, one last time and uh, get that opportunity to, to be recognized. For sure. Well, Eddie, I appreciate your time and your stories and sharing your battle with us. And, you know, all I can hope is that, uh, where you are at a hockey arena working together again soon or watching you on TV calling the Stanley Cup final. 
All right, Stevie, all the best. Continued success. Take care of your family, and uh, everybody stay safe out there, and uh, hopefully see everybody on the other side. All right. Thanks, Eddie. Take care. Okay, okay Stevie, thanks. It's so easy to talk about all the highs in life, but being able to talk about the lows to help others, that's a gift. Thank you, Eddie. On the next episode of Mike Check on Sports, I will catch up with NBC Sports and MSG Network's hockey analyst, Anson Carter. Take care. Brush your hair. Brush your hair.